everybody, welcome to Goaltending, where your why is bigger than your excuses. I'm your host, Will Bland, and today we have one of my favorite educators that I've had the opportunity to learn from joining us to talk about goaltending in relationship to entrepreneurship and business planning. Uh, but before I get into introducing our guests, I just want to say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your journey. We ultimately strive to get you the most valuable information possible in order to help you reach your goals and live the most fulfilled life possible. All we ask is that you subscribe on your listening platform, like, leave a five-star review, and if you find the information useful, please share it. If it's helpful to you, it can be helpful to someone else, and ultimately the goal is to reach as many people as possible. Now, without further ado, uh, I'm extremely elated to welcome our guest to the show today. She's a retired Air Force veteran with 30 years of total service. Uh, currently, she's the executive director for the Gilliam Center of Entrepreneurship at James Madison University. And prior to that, I had the good fortune of learning from her uh, and while I was in the MBA program at the University of Louisville. And at that time, she was entrepreneur in residence and assistant director of the Fort Center for Entrepreneurship at UofL. And there's one thing that just always stood out that told me so much about her character and why I really wanted her here. She always told us, you don't just have a professor in me, you've gained an advisor for life. If you ever, if you ever need anything, if you ever you know, wanna, want somebody to poke holes or run an idea past, we can get together over a cup of coffee and be happy to go over it. So I have an IOU for that cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, let me know the next time you're in town. And uh, it's my honor and privilege to welcome Suzanne Bergmeister to the show. Well, thanks, Will. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to have you. I appreciate you taking the time. And I really think people are just going to get so much value from the conversation today. So before we get into like really, you know, big questions, diving into business plans and all the exciting stuff, uh, just wanted to ask a couple questions that let the audience know a little bit about you. So sure. one thing that I've noticed through my time in service is I feel like there's quite a few entrepreneurs that come out of the military. Uh, like in, during my deployments, I've uh, you know met people that are always talking about after this deployment, I plan to start this business. Or when I get out of the service, I plan to start this business and have just seen that a whole lot. So I was curious where did your entrepreneurial passion come from? And do you attribute any of it to your military background? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, as military officers, we're given a mission um, and, you know, we have to accomplish that mission no matter what, which is very entrepreneurial because when entrepreneurs set a goal for themselves, you know, they, they have to sometimes face a lot of adversity in order to reach that goal. Um, as I'm sure you know, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It's a <laughs> roller coaster ride. <laughs> Some days you have good days and you're on top of the world. Other days, everything comes crashing down. Um, so I do think that um, military personnel, not just officers, but military personnel in general, tend to make good entrepreneurs because they also can think outside the box mm -hmm. and um, do what it takes to get stuff done. Um, so, yeah. So that I've been building on that, you know, from my so many years of service. So um, and then the other question you asked me was about how I became an entrepreneur. Is that right? Yeah. Just where like your passion for entrepreneurship came from. Yeah. 
Well, that's funny because when I was getting my MBA, uh, we had one of the world's most famous entrepreneurial professors um, at Cornell when I was getting my MBA. And I didn't take one of his classes because I had no intention of becoming an entrepreneur. <laughs> I was um, an engineer. I liked numbers and spreadsheets. And I thought, I don't want to start my own company. I don't want to you know, take that kind of risk. I'll never be an entrepreneur. And so I never took any of his courses. Mm-hmm. And he sadly passed away a couple of years ago. But um, all of a sudden, um, you know, when I found myself in the corporate world, I realized I didn't like corporate finance. I thought it was very boring. But boy, private equity and venture investing looked like a lot of fun. So I actually entered the entrepreneurial world from the investor side. So I became um, a venture capitalist and I worked with a lot of angel investors. And um, that was my entrance into seeing the world of entrepreneurship, because obviously entrepreneurs would come pitch to us because we had the money. And uh, once again, I said, that looks like a lot of fun. I think I might want to do that. And so um, in 2004, I actually started my own company Um, and that still exists to this day. I just don't have a heck of a lot of time to work on it because I have a full time job. But yeah, I was sort of an accidental entrepreneur, even though I probably probably had it in me all along. I just didn't know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people could probably relate to that. There's those entrepreneurial things that are within you, and sometimes you don't realize it until you know a certain circumstance happens or you're put in a certain situation or you learn something that you didn't know before. Mm-hmm. It's true. Sometimes entrepreneurship happens accidentally like that um, when someone is put in an adverse situation, for example, in a recession when there's layoffs. And all of a sudden, you know, you had this idea half baked in your mind, but you had a nice job and security and benefits. And then all of a sudden you didn't have that anymore. And so I found quite a few entrepreneurs got started because of an adverse situation where they got laid off. Finding an opportunity in the market, something you see a need for something, a problem to solve. Yeah, because a lot of people have kind of a a, a seed of a, an idea, but if they're, you know, inertia takes over. If they're comfortable in their job, in their career, you know, they don't want to quit and actually try this thing. But um, sometimes life throws something at you and then you have the opportunity to actually explore that idea and see if it's anything worth pursuing. Um, I can tell you that my when I started my company in 2004, my then mentor said to me, uh, Suzanne, you need to learn to live with ambiguity. And I thought to myself, oh, no, I'm not good at that. You know, I'm <laughs> schedule driven type A. Give me a spreadsheet and two sides of the equal sign have to balance and all that kind of stuff. But he was right. Entrepreneurs have to learn to live with ambiguity. And so I not only have learned to live with it, I've actually embraced it. Um, to me, it makes life more interesting with when there's ambiguity, a little bit of a little bit of ambiguity around. It kind of keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. And I love that mindset shift of instead of, you know, learning to live with it, embracing it, because a lot of times the challenges we face as entrepreneurships or just as entrepreneurs or just someone pursuing a goal you'll face obstacles and it's all about the mindset in which you approach those obstacles with and how you overcome it. Sure. That's absolutely true. Whether the goal is personal, um, professional, it it's the same. So that's a great segue uh, into where we'll get into diving into uh, a little bit of some questions that make some relationships to business planning 
and how it ties into uh, the five steps of goaltending that I go over with people. So we'll go ahead and start diving into goals a little bit. And the first couple questions kind of dance around the first step of the goaltending model, which is identifying your start and finish. And a really big and important piece of that that I like to talk about is finding your why, like the why behind your idea. And this step really encompasses a lot of what entrepreneurs do in the beginning of figuring out the business they want to pursue and a lot of what we did in the beginning of the MBA program. So can you explain a little bit about some things a person could do to get started in figuring out what business they want to pursue and finding their passion or their why for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I completely agree with you. Entrepreneurs have got to be passionate about what they're doing. I call it irrational enthusiasm uh, because people are going to tell you your idea is stupid. It'll never work. Don't quit your day job. Um, You know, and so entrepreneurs have to have thick skin and what I call irrational enthusiasm or passion. So I think passion you find by looking inward and saying, what do I like to spend my time on? What do I like to spend my time thinking about? What do I like to spend my time doing? Who do I like to spend my time doing it with? Um, And that's how you find your passion. Finding an entrepreneurial idea will just build on that. And as you know, there are steps that you can take. Entrepreneurs solve problems. So there are steps that you can take. Um, There's something called ideation, you know, where you just kind of throw some ideas out there. I always tell my entrepreneurs, and I probably told you this too, fall in love with the problem, not your solution. Because as an engineer, I know that technical people um, tend to fall in love with the technology. Scientists tend to fall in love with the science. If it doesn't solve a problem, meaning if if there's no organization or person or group of people that's going to pay for that, then you really don't have a business. You just have really cool technology mm-hmm. or really cool science project. So if you if your goal is to really start a company, then you have to think about it from the flip side. What problem are you trying to solve? Who are you trying to solve it for? And how much are they willing to pay in order to solve it? And I know that your passion and your why is very important to all that. Um, but you, in order to, and I won't say in order to guarantee success because there's no such thing, but in order to reduce your risk of failure, you've got to find that all important. And I have to do it like this product market fit. So you're solving a problem or a pain in the market or creating a gain that people are willing to pay for or businesses are willing to pay for. And you've got a solution that's better than anything else out there. And you better be passionate about it because you're going to be working really hard. And I always say this too: entrepreneurs work really hard, but they also have a lot of fun. And if you're doing something that you believe in from your heart, that you're passionate about and you're changing the world in some way, big or small, then you're going to be willing to work, you know, 24 mm-hmm. seven pretty much um, on your passion project. So can, can I segue? I'm, I'm teaching a social innovation class right now. Okay. And one of the things we're working on is identifying social issues that we can wrap our arms around a very small section of that huge social issue, like climate change or sex trafficking. No one person is going to solve those things. But my students can look at it, look at the underlying causes of some of these larger social issues and maybe find 
a kernel of something that they could wrap their arms around and provide a solution to. So what's causing or what are one of the underlying reasons for sex trafficking or climate change or Mm -hmm. food insecurity? And how can you wrap your arms around that one little reason that this is happening? And in doing so, if you can solve that, you're actually taking steps closer to changing the world. Wow. That almost, (laughs) I mean, that is so complex, but like so incredible. And it makes me think a little bit of like when you're pursuing a long-term goal, you break that goal down into smaller goals. So that sounds like the same thing. You're taking a big problem and breaking it down into smaller pieces that you can tackle one at a time to end up making. Yes, exactly. Because sometimes these big audacious goals can seem very intimidating, Mm -hmm. very intimidating. But if you break it down into smaller steps and as you succeed in achieving those little steps, you get closer and closer to your big goal, to solving the big problem. I, I, I like to um, give the analogy of running a marathon. So when I was in college, I got into running 5Ks and 10Ks, you know, smaller five-mile races, that kind of thing. And I had a friend who ran the New York City Marathon one year. And he gave me his T-shirt. And he said, Suzanne, someday you're going to run a marathon. And I'm like, ha ha, yeah, someday. And I kept that t-shirt. And then I moved to California and I would say it all the time. Oh, someday I'm going to run a marathon. Someday. It just sounded good. You know, someday I'm going to run a marathon. But like you said, your goal has to have a start and an end date. And that goal didn't have one for me. It was just, oh, someday I'm going to run a marathon. Until a good friend of me called me out on it and said, when? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, someday. (laughs) And then he said, the LA Marathon is in six months. Let's do it. And I was like, All right. holy cow. <laughs> and we did. And we set smaller goals for ourselves, like for yeah. running five days a week, doing a long, long run on the weekends, you know, until we worked up to it. And uh, we did it. I love that. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, just the talking about a marathon and using that, as a great, this first off, just a great story. And it's great that you had a friend who challenged the, you know, when are you going to accomplish it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's fantastic to have people around you that can, you know, provide encouragement and, and remind you that don't say, you know, when this happens, I'll do this. But rather, if it's really something you want to do, like set that date and go for it. I love that. That's such That's a great right. story. Yeah. So one more piece before I go on to the next step was um, when we're doing the initial part uh, of business planning, when we were in the MBA program, we spent a long time with building, you know, three to five years of projections of, you know, who we expect to have on the team, you know, who will go full time first and when building three to five years of financials of like what you expect to have in sales and where money's coming from. There's so many variables. It's such a a big plan. And the likelihood of, you know, sticking to that plan exactly, you know, three, five years out is improbable. So what I wanted to talk about, what I'd like to have you elaborate on is what's the reason and the importance of setting those dates 
in mm-hmm. pursuit of your venture, which we touched on some, but wanted to elaborate on that point. Sure. Well, two things. Number one, it's not the plan so much that's valuable. It's the planning process. So by forcing an entrepreneur, or in your case, it was a student, well, you were a student entrepreneur, in forcing them to think about hiring and expenses and revenue projections and revenue growth and um, sales cycles and things like that, by forcing them to go through that exercise and build that financial model and write that marketing plan and hiring plan, it's the process itself that's valuable. And you're absolutely right. No one ever hits those numbers. You know, (laughs) I I can honestly say that no one ever hits those numbers. (laughs) But what they do is they adjust. So once they get out there and start selling and they see how much things really cost, they go back and they tweak that financial model, tweak that business plan, because now they have reality to reflect what they're projecting which makes it a whole heck of a lot more likely to succeed and to actually be true. Okay, so that's the first one. It's the process of planning that's so valuable. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason most startups fail, the reason most entrepreneurial businesses fail, is because the numbers don't work. So that's another reason why it's so important to really honestly understand your numbers. You know, unit economics, how much does it cost you to make one item of whatever it is you're making? And then who's going to take a piece of that? The um, the manufacturer, the wholesaler, the distributor, the retailer. Is there enough left over for you to make a profit? And that includes paying you, pay, paying yourself. Mm-hmm. And if there's not, then you either have to see if you can raise the price, um, if the market will bear that, or... You don't have a business. You know, I I always used to say, if it costs you $10 to make your item for one item, but people are only willing to pay $5 for it, well, then you don't have a company. If it costs you $10 to make and people are willing to pay $10 for it, you still don't have a company because where's your profit? How how are you going to pay yourself? If it costs you $10 to make, but people are willing to pay $20 for it, well, then you might have a company that's sustainable. Time will tell and you have to run the numbers. But the number one reason most businesses fail is because the numbers just don't work. And who's at fault there? The founder. Management. The management team. Mm-hmm. If the management team can't make the numbers work, then they should, shouldn't have started the business in the first place. Right. I, I want to emphasize on that piece. The reason that I built step five into the goaltending model. It's review and refine Mm. to constantly be looking back and evaluating and adjusting your plan because you get new information every day. You may make a new relationship. Something may happen in life that changes your circumstances. Mm -hmm. And with a constant changing environment, your plan has to change with it. So whatever, whatever the plan is, it's a, a living plan. Like it has to constantly change. So I, I just love that you brought that piece up because yes, it's a crucial. The feedback loop is critically important in any endeavor. Um, what do I always say? The hallmark of any successful entrepreneur is flexibility. 
So you've got to be flexible. And if the numbers aren't working, you go back and you, you redo them. Um, so yeah, flexibility is cre- crucial. I think that leads us perfectly into uh, the, the next set of questions within step two, uh, which is identifying what you have and what you need. Mm. And a really big piece of that, and I think that you do such a good job of, of building and, and really putting quality into relationships around you. Yeah. You talk about relationships all the time. And what I wanted to, to really emphasize, when you think about what you have and what you need, the importance of those relationships. So in, in your words, can you tell us a little bit about the importance of relationships, some good ways to leverage relationships in the pursuit of your goal or your business? Absolutely. So in, investors invest in management teams. And I say teams because no one person can do it all. Um, I'm trained as an engineer. I'm really good with financial models. I don't know the first thing about marketing, but I know it's critically important. I don't get it. It's like shades of gray and fuzzy and some things work and some things don't. But if I ever start another business, I'm going to hire the best marketer that I can find because I am self-aware enough to know that I don't have those skills, but I know how critically important they are for a startup. Mm-hmm. So being self-aware is extremely important. And you want to surround yourself with people that have the skills that you don't have. And the self, and you need to have the self-awareness to understand what those skills are that you need to go out and find to complement what you can do. And so, yeah, that's all about relationships, sincere relationships built on mutual trust and respect. And how do you develop them? It takes time. You can't just go handing out your business card saying, what can you do for me kind of thing. That's the biggest mistake that a lot of young people make. It's like, oh, here's my business card. Now, what can this person do for me? And and if they can't do anything for me, then I'm not going to spend more than 10 minutes with them. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. You get to know people. um, And and I hate the word networking because to me, it sounds disingenuous, you know, glad handing and all. But I prefer relationship building. So how do you do that? Well, you go to networking events because that's what they call them. (laughs) (laughs) But but, um, I like to believe that I... When I follow up with people, I do it out of a sincere willingness to develop a relationship with them. I may not be able to help them anytime soon. They may not be able to help me anytime soon. But if we enjoy each other's company and can share a cup of coffee or a beer every now and then um, and see each other at networking events, you never know when I'm going to say, you know what? I think, Will, I know somebody that can help you. And I'm going to reach out to that person. I just did that this evening. I had an MBA student come into my office and say, I need help. I have an assignment that I need to interview an entrepreneur and I don't know any entrepreneurs. Oh, and by the way, it's due on Wednesday. I'm like, okay, let me see what I can do. So, and I didn't know this student very well, but I reached into my bag of entrepreneurs that I know very well, that I've developed relationships with over the years that have graduated and are out doing their thing. And I quickly emailed one of them. And I said, would you mind being interviewed with this MBA student? And right away, he wrote back. He goes, I'd love to connect us. And I connected them. So you see, you never know when a relationship could come in handy to either help you or to help someone else. And so then you're strengthened in the relationship with the other person because you reached out to your network. Mm -hmm. And it all, you know, it all comes back to you when you do things like this to help other people. It really does. And I think the like a really important piece of that that you brought up is the 
like don't approach those opportunities to build relationships with what can you do for me yeah. because that that's how you immediately sever that like that relationship's not going anywhere uh, yep. with that approach to it. Um, several years ago, I had coffee with a young entrepreneur who was starting, um, he was trying to build a book of business to do financial planning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I don't need a financial planner. I actually have some and, you know, I have an MBA and I can do a lot of that stuff on my own, but I'm always willing to meet for coffee with someone, especially a young entrepreneur. So we got there and he handed me his card and right away he started selling me on his ability to be a financial planner. And so I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in that. Right. Well, he basically said, well, I've got to go. And he left and I thought, and I tore up this card and I thought I'm never, he just blew an opportunity to build a relationship with me. And I know so many people that might be his clients, future clients. I mean, maybe not me, but he just took one look at me and said, fine, if I can't sell her on my business and make her a client, then I don't, I don't want to waste my time. I just uh, shook my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And it's funny, Will, in the beginning, you said that I always tell my students, you have a friend and a consultant for life. Mm-hmm. And several of my students, former students, have taken me up on that. And said, you know, I have this idea. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? I want to run it by you. I want you to tell me why it won't work. And I don't tell them why it won't work, but I help them figure out what questions they need to ask, what things they need to do in order to explore that idea further. Mm -hmm. And some of them go ahead and launch and are successful. Some of them don't. But but I've built that relationship with many, many of my students and they do come back to me and ask me for things. And I'm always happy to do it. That is such a great example of, of like how to foster those relationships. That leads into the next question of you've seen so many teams work toward starting businesses from starting businesses and succeeding to starting businesses and failing to starting yeah. and pivoting over and over and over again. Um, so I, I know you've just seen an incredible amount more than I even realized, but what I wanted to learn from that from you is you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. So what are some top characteristics that you've seen in successful teams? Uh, and then what are some characteristics in the less successful teams that people can think of, like avoiding that type of character or understanding that team dynamic that they need to mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest... The biggest benefit an entrepreneurial team or an entrepreneur could have, and this is what investors look for too, and it's something called coachability. Um, and it, it, it falls right in line with um, relationships because especially investors, but a lot of advisors, if you have a board of directors, you've, you've gathered them because they have a lot of experience. And if you're not willing to be coachable, if you're not willing to at least entertain and think about that advice that they're giving, then I think you're doing yourself and your team and your service and your uh, startup a disservice. So coachability is huge. And I think the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that listen. They don't try, they don't follow everyone's advice because that would they would drive themselves crazy <laughs> because they're going to get conflicting advice from right. advisors and investors and board of directors and, and all this kind of stuff. 
but they have the ability to take in all that advice and synthesize it and then choose a direction to go in based on understanding that advice, even if it's not exactly following the advice of one of their advisors. Does yeah. that make sense? So it's coachability, but oh, it's yeah. also the ability to synthesize a lot of different opinions and perspectives and choose the right path going forward. Mm-hmm. No, it makes perfect sense. Like, So you could listen to Dave Ramsey talk about building wealth and financial advice, and then you could listen to, I want to say, Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, and uh-huh they have some conflicting ideologies on financial management and uh, leveraging money to, to be able to build things. So they have conflicting information, but they both have information that you can use. They have some relation points, but you have to mm-hmm. listen to both and then find the pieces that, that work for what you're trying mm-hmm. to do or that makes sense to your journey. Yeah, exactly. And these days with technology, it's so easy to listen to those experts, either through podcasts or um, reading books or YouTube videos. I mean, there's just a wealth of information out there. And so the the other characteristic of a successful entrepreneur is um, lifelong learning. Um, be hungry to get other perspectives and to, to hear other people's stories and, you know, and to learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I think that um, having the desire and the ability to, to read and listen to podcasts and, you know, YouTube videos and just soak in all that information, but then synthesize it and choose your own path. I like that a lot. That actually just triggered a question in my head, an unplanned question. Sure. I've, I've met some people who, you know, we talk about professional development stuff and, and reading uh, for growth. And then they were like, well, I just don't like reading uh, like things that are for, per, for professional development. Do you know of like another good way for them to, or may, maybe it just that like books are not the right method for them to get information. What would you have a suggestion on a better way to? Well, yeah. I mean, there's audiobooks. If you can't, if you're not the type that can sit down and read a book, I mean, I have three or four books going at once because I'm an avid reader and I have been since I was a little girl. But if, if that's just not your skill set or not your your um, desire to do that, if you if you don't find that enjoyable, there's audiobooks, which I think are fantastic, especially on a long drive um, or if you're cleaning your house or if you're out for a run or a walk. I mean, what better way to put that time to good use than to pop your um, headphones in and listen to an audiobook? And then there's the podcast. There, there's many that I listen to. Yeah. And um, that's another way to absorb that kind of information. Um, and then there's documentaries all over the place these days, you know, even for free, not just the paying kind. Right, but right. Um, yeah, there's so many different ways of getting information these days that we're very fortunate you know, you, back in the old days, you have to go to the library, check out books, you know, and um, not anymore. I mean, they're at our fingertips. I love that because it's, you may recognize one way of learning that you don't like, but there's so many resources yeah. out there. So it's just about taking the initiative to seek out that information in whatever way you Right. And about. another way, another way to do it, if you're more of a people person, go out and find these entrepreneurs or Find someone who's doing what you want to do. Find someone who has the job that you think would be your dream job mm-hmm. and just do an interview with them or buy them a cup of coffee. Say, can I, you know, 
have 15 minutes of your time. I want to ask you some questions. I want to pick your brain. You know, tell me how you got there. And especially in the entrepreneurial world, people are so willing to bend over backwards to share their stories, to help someone else, because entrepreneurship isn't a zero-sum game. You know, when, when entrepreneurs share and win, everybody wins. Communities win, customers win, jobs are created, wealth is created, solutions are created. It's just the whole entrepreneurial community is very collaborative and friendly mm-hmm. and I don't know one entrepreneur that wouldn't be willing to to talk to a you know a younger entrepreneur and share their story. Absolutely. So that's another way of getting that <laughs> yeah. information. Yeah, just talking to people. So I remember mm-hmm. having a section in the business plan we built in the program, and I, every business plan can be slightly different. So people name things different things, or what makes sense for one business may not make sense to another. But I think that this specific category is crucial to any business plan, which is critical risks and mitigation strategies. So worded differently, obstacles you expect to face and how you plan to overcome them. Uh, Yep. And that's in step three of the five-step process to goaltending is like seeing what obstacles you're going to face, how you plan to overcome them. So I have a few questions that tie into that process specifically that recognizing those Mm -hmm. and the first is just how important how much time should you be spending on that piece of your plan of figuring out what obstacles you plan to face yeah i think it's very important uh you don't want to be blindsided by something you don't want to be caught off guard You want to have a plan for how you're going to handle something if something doesn't work right. If you're working like crazy to get your first client and that client basically just says no and nothing you can do can make them say yes, you got to have a plan for where's your second client? Where's your third client? You know, what are you going to do if this person or this business or this potential client just says no for whatever reason? How are you going to use that no and turn it around or or how are you going to go around that and get your next client? I'm reading a, a book right now. I just finished it for the second time um, that talks about habit forming. And it's, you know, make it easy, make it attractive, you know, make it so that you remove the barriers mm-hmm. if you want to create a new habit. So remove all the barriers. So I want, I like to wake up early in the morning and work out. So I put my workout clothes right there on that tub so that when I, you know, get up in the morning, that's the first thing I see. I make it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if you can understand what your obstacles are to, to achieving that goal and then what you can do to work around those obstacles, I think that's, that's a really good plan, but it is important to understand what obstacles you could be facing. Cause you don't want to be blindsided. That's for sure. Definitely. 100%. Now, do you ever see people stop pursuing a business opportunity too soon because of an obstacle that they could have overcame? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quite often, but you can usually pinpoint it back to something like they weren't coachable or they fell in love with their solution or their technology and they didn't talk to their customers. You know, they didn't get that feedback early on before they quit their day job, before they raised money, before they spent a lot of time and energy and effort and maybe their own funding building something that no one would want to buy. Um, So there are so many ways that you can de-risk a business early on 
without spending money, without quitting your day job. Um, and so I see people that didn't do that, that just kind of throw their hands up and say, well, I failed. When in fact, um, maybe there's something salvageable there. If nothing else, then a good lesson, yeah. <laughs> a good lesson to learn about what not to do next time. And that's something that we talked about a lot too, or like at certain events, you have, you could have a, somebody who is an entrepreneur out to talk about their failure. Yeah. To, to learn from what, what, what led to the failure? Like, why is it considered a failure? But there's always a takeaway. Yes, I agree. And especially in the entrepreneurial world, having a failed startup is not necessarily the kiss of death. Um, even some of your own investors that lost money on that first gig may come back and back you the second time if you didn't do something illegal or just really stupid. <laughs> um, you know, if it was just a, a market timing issue or a technology issue or something, you know, then, then that failure is just a good lesson learned. And it's definitely not the kiss of death. Right. Definitely. Now, an, another piece to obstacles, there is a lot of obstacles that you can anticipate and expect, but then there's a lot of unexpected obstacles and things that you couldn't have possibly foreseen when you right. were planning initially. Do you have any right. tips for how you overcome those unplanned for obstacles? Yeah. You know how many entrepreneurs and small business owners um, completely were caught off guard by COVID, okay? And just failed miserably because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to be flexible. They didn't know how to pivot. They didn't know how to change what they were doing before into the new world that we were all thrust into, six feet apart, no indoor dining, you know, all that kind of stuff. They couldn't figure out a way to get around that obstacle, but there were some that did. Mm -hmm. And those were the agile ones. Those were the flexible ones. Those were the ones that said, okay, I can't go in this direction. What direction can I go in? So some, and I'm using restaurants because it's an easy example to understand, some did outdoor dining, some did to go, some did delivery, some did, you know, they took all the chairs out of the dining room and they put them 20 feet apart or something like that. Some did the bubbles, remember the yeah. bubbles? Um, but the ones that could pivot and could figure out a way to, to do business in this new world that we were living in, because we didn't know how temporary that new world was going to be. And I think it turned out to last a lot longer than, than most of us expected. But the ones that were agile and flexible and creative and innovative, and maybe they even scrapped what they were doing and started doing something else, like mm -hmm. making masks, cloth masks, let's yeah. say, or something else, you know, changed their business entirely, but used maybe their equipment to build something else that people needed or wanted or yeah. used or something like that. So... Um, or or saw an opportunity that that said, okay, under these circumstances, what are the new problems and how can mm -hmm. I solve them? Exactly. So many people started doing jigsaw puzzles, right? Or family game night over mm -hmm. COVID because they couldn't go out to movies. They couldn't go out to restaurants. What could they do? Well, sit around their dining room table. What do you do sitting around a dining room table? Games, yeah. jigsaw puzzles, movies, you know. So people that were flexible in identifying the new problems 
and how to solve them. I mean, that's using your entrepreneurial mindset, not just saying, well, I have a restaurant and now I can't serve food. So I'm failing. (laughs) Close the doors. Done. Yeah. There were so many, like COVID is a perfect example of those unexpected obstacles. And there were so many unique innovations that came from it. Distillery started producing a bunch of hand sanitizer. Hey, we we make alcohol. We can repurpose this. They were yeah. innovative and creative with it. Uh, during, I was actually deployed when COVID first kicked off and yeah. they had to close the gym down. And gym, the gym is where soldiers relieve the majority of their stress during a deployment. I saw so many unique workouts. <laughs> People created pulley systems to be able to do like actual cable workouts yeah they they put bricks on tables and turn tables into (laughs) workout equipment yeah so just that innovation being creative and not looking at it as like this is just going to stop me not looking at it as a brick wall but rather looking at it as a fence like I can find a way to get around this over this or through this somehow yep that's exactly right. And it's not just soldiers that go to the gym for stress relief and all. I was going to a gym too and mine shut down. Yeah. And my instructors, because I took some classes, group classes, fitness classes, yoga and all, mm-hmm. they started doing it online. Um, and oh. so, yeah, and they would send a link to all of us. And the gym, you know, in order to stay afloat, they basically said, all right, we're shut down. You don't have to pay your dues, but you can pay your dues if you want to. You can pay half your dues if you want to. You can mm-hmm. pay... 10 percentage of your dues if if you can if that's all you can afford and and you know a lot of us just kept paying again we didn't know how long it was gonna last you know but i figured i was getting the content you know through online because my instructors were creative and they could go online um so i felt compelled to try and help my gym out by continuing to pay the membership yeah i know not everyone could do that but right right so one of the early on actions that we took regularly, and we already talked about this topic a little, but I wanted to help other people who aren't familiar with it understand a little bit more, is customer discovery interviews. Yeah. Uh, we um, we did hundreds of interviews, uh, just each, every single team. And will you share with the audience just a little bit about what customer discovery is and why it's so important to get out of the building? Yeah. Uh, if, if you want to do one thing to de-risk your business the most, it's go talk to your customers because you can write the most beautiful business plan, have the most beautiful financial model in the world. But as soon as you go out there to your customers and you realize that that's not what they want, or that's not what they want to pay money for, or that's not what they want to pay enough money for to make you a profitable company and a sustainable company, then you know, you're know you kind of screwed if you mm-hmm. didn't talk to them ahead of time. So um, it, it's just the biggest mistake an entrepreneur could make by not talking to their customers. And by talking to them, I don't mean pre-selling or pitching your idea. Yeah. What I want the entrepreneurs to do is say to the prospective customers, tell me what issues you're having in this particular realm. Um, So if my problem or if my problem that I'm trying to solve is, I don't know, running late all the time, 
Okay. So I'll go find people that are running late all the time, you know, and, and maybe you have to talk to a hundred of them to find 10 or 15 of them that are running late. And you want to say, tell me about the last time you were running late. What did you do? How come it was bad? How stressed were you? What did you try to do the next time to make yourself not late? And why was that not awesome? And then you listen because maybe being late isn't the problem. Maybe it's something underlying. That's the real problem. So maybe fixing this problem isn't what you should be doing. You should be fixing this problem. So if they say, well, yeah, that's a problem, but you want to know what my real problem is? You're going to be like, yes, tell me. Tell me your real problem so I can solve it for you. Mm -hmm. um, because that's what you want to do. You want to solve real problems that people are like, if you can solve this for me, I'll give you a credit card right now. I'll prepay and <laughs> pre-order it. If you can do this for me right now, yeah. it's so funny. It must be universal across campuses. All students have problems with parking. So when I'm walking, when I'm working with student entrepreneurs, their biggest problem is finding parking. You know, the parking deck is full or this parking lot is full or they have to park three miles away and then they're late for class. And so it, it's, I just brought that up because it's kind of like a universal problem that all yeah. students have is parking. And I don't know if you experienced that in your undergrad or MBA class, but um, and they all try to solve it in different ways. And, and, you know, some of the some of the solutions actually were implemented because our parking garage now has a screen out front that says full or, you know, 18 spaces available on yeah. floors three and four or something like that. So at least, you know. Somebody recognized the problem and said, at least let's try yeah. to help a little bit. I know. And in airports now, you're you're driving in airport parking garages. Uh -huh. You'll see red, 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 and then you'll see green, little, mm -hmm. little light. So you know that's an empty parking space. And all it is is a sensor that senses whether there's a vehicle in there or not. And yep. if there is, it's a red dot. And if it's not, it's a green dot. But it's so helpful when you're driving up and down and you're trying not to be late for your flight to see a green dot and say, okay, I can park there. Yeah, I love it. Simple, but it's problem solving. <laughs> so the next question is not so much like business plan or entrepreneurship necessarily related, but more so about just balance overall. Uh, and, and I think that you're a great person to ask this because you do a great job with maintaining, like you have a well-rounded schedule and balance between your health and fitness being an educator, making time for friends and family, and staying very connected in the community. So do you have any tips or advice on how you hold yourself accountable to your priorities? Yeah, that's it's a really important question because so many people lose themselves in work. Let's say they become workaholics and their health suffers, their family life suffers, you know, a lot of things suffer. And then eventually their work suffers. So I had a good friend who's a serial entrepreneur that used to say, and I quote, if it ain't fun, I ain't doing it. <laughs> Sounds like a two-year-old, right? Um, but, um, and, and if I said the name, you would know who it was. So I'm not going to say the name, but, um, you know, as I got older in life, that's so true. If, if, it, if I don't think it's fun, I'm not going to do it. My job right now is fun. I could retire tomorrow financially. But why am I still working? Well, because it's still fun. Yeah. You know, I was a reservist for 25 years in the Air Force. And I could have quit at any time. And I kept doing it. And I said to everybody, I'll do this until it's not fun anymore. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I, well, I did it until I had 30 years and they kicked me out, <laughs> but, um, but it was still fun. So if I don't feel like going to a networking event, if I'm too tired or hungry or, or, you know, or if I, if I want to watch a movie, if I just want to get in my comfy pants, I won't go, you know, um, I, part of my self-awareness, I'm an early morning workout person. Mm-hmm. If I don't work out in the morning, it doesn't happen because when I get home from work, I am just too tired and I know it's not going to happen. Even if I lay out my workout clothes, it's just not happening. I'm too tired. And so that's why I work out in the morning. And I also know that if I don't work out or find some way to do stress relief, it'll build up and build up and I won't be sleeping and I'll be snippy and I'll, you know, my health will suffer. My work will suffer. My relationships will suffer. Um, When my son was really young, and I would get all snippy because I was stressed. He would look at me at five. He was five years old and go, mom, you need to go for a run. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I do. So we all have to be masters of our own self-care. And I talk to my students about this a lot, especially coming out of COVID and, and how a lot of, a lot of young people suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to know, you know, your body and your mind. What can you do to reduce your stress? Is it taking a walk? Is it going for a run? Is it reading a book? Is it petting your dog or your cat or your gerbil or whatever? What is it that you can do for your body and your mind, your mental health and your physical health to de-stress, to go in your happy place? You know, I can't tell you what to do because what works for me might not work for you. So I know what works for me. And I know how to get myself to do it. You've got to figure out, everyone, individually, what works for you and how to, how to make that happen. It's critically important. Absolutely. Self-awareness, just recognizing yes. it in yourself. Because like you said, we all have different things about us. You know, yeah. Some people are a morning workout person and some people are like, I am not getting up until oh, 10 yeah. minutes after I have to get up. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. I had a, um, um, a colonel. He was actually that I worked for. Uh, he was the first test pilot of the B-2 stealth bomber because I worked on the yeah. B-2. And we probably had a compound of 300 people working there. And he would say in commander's calls once a month, he would say, I don't want to see anybody eating lunch at their desk. If you can't take a half an hour out, because we all had stressful jobs. This was military, civilian contractors. If you can't take a half an hour out, to go walk around, you know, the flight line or walk around the building or go do something, then you're not doing your job right. And that was true. And so he, he would be out there. He would see us out there. And, you know, that was a sign of a good leader because he said, get away from your desk. Because we also worked in a, a, a TSSCI facility, so it had no windows. So we would go into <laughs> work in the morning and we wouldn't know if it was sunny, rainy, dark night, daytime. I mean, so he really wanted us to get out of the building yeah. um, at lunchtime and, and do something out in the sunshine. So I love the lessons that you learn from some of those incredible leaders yeah. that you get to work with, uh, especially in the military, from my experience. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably just one more question in terms of like kind of goal related and mm-hmm. then just a couple closeout questions. How often would you recommend a check-in on progress towards your current initiatives? So the very first thing you said about a start and a stop date, you got to have these small wins, these tiny chunks 
these are, I'll say it, these atomic habits <laughs> um, that you can celebrate. So celebrate the wins, celebrate the small wins. So check in often. So let me tell you another story. This, this is a personal goal. I don't make New Year's resolutions. I make goals. And I, I make them realistic to my lifestyle. A lot of my friends did dry January. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I admire that. I knew with football playoffs and, and all that kind of stuff that for me to do dry January just wasn't going to happen. I, I was setting myself up to fail. Okay. Right. Cause I like to watch football and have a beer, you know? So I set a different goal for myself and I gave myself a timeline. Mm-hmm. It's January and February and it's dry Mondays and Wednesdays. So I don't drink not even a glass of wine on Mondays and Wednesdays because on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, I get up early and I do my workout. So I thought, okay, so I'm building on my habits here. It's called yeah. habit stacking. So if I do drive Mondays and Wednesdays and I can get up and, and then do my workout Tuesdays and Thursdays and I end up feeling better and sleeping better and all that kind of stuff. So, and so far, knock the wood, you know, it's almost the end of, okay, it's the middle of February, but month and a half, I'm going strong. And today's Wednesday, so I'm drinking water. You got but so you, you have to set realistic goals for yourself too. Being realistic is is yeah. really the key. Like if you if you're setting stuff that is just unrealistic, then you are setting yourself up to fail from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And then you get all bummed out, and you're like, "Oh my god, I blew my <laughs> goal. I blew my diet. I blew my dry January or whatever." But if if you make them small enough and and put short timelines on them. And then you can just start celebrating and building and building. Um, it works for me. I love it. We covered so many great things today, first off. And I, I just love the conversation. There's so many great takeaways. Are there one or two most important keys to success when it comes to you know planning and achieving your goals or building a successful business that, that you would really want to emphasize? Yeah. Um, you've probably seen these before because every class I teach, every lecture I give, I- I'm big on quotes. I love quotes because they, they're they're usually said by people much smarter than me. And sometimes they're profound and sometimes they guide my life. So I have two of them. And the first one is, should you fail to pilot your own ship? Don't be surprised at what inappropriate port you find yourself docked. So that speaks to me. So we can, you know, we have control over the decisions we make in our life. We don't have control over everything, you know, but the decisions we make in our life. So if you, it's, that's piloting your own ship. So if you find yourself in a situation that you don't like, or you're stressed, or you're, you have the ability to change that. That's piloting your own ship. Mm -hmm. So don't be surprised at what inappropriate port you find. All of a sudden you're over here. And you're like, well, how did I get here? Well, you didn't pilot your own ship. So that's one of my favorite quotes. And then the other one is, regret for the things that we've done can be tempered by time. Regret for the things we have not done is inconsolable. I mean, that wow. just, so we've all done stupid things and, you know, yeah, okay. Well, over time, you know, that oh, I was young, I was stupid, you know, whatever. But regret for the things we have not done. So I always like to say one of the most powerful things you can do is be afraid of something and do it anyway. I mean, that just is the most powerful thing. I used to be deathly afraid of public speaking. Seriously. 
I mean, deathly afraid of it. Then I joined the military and you have to do briefings and, and, you know, and I'm like, okay. And I kind of forced myself to get good at it because I knew it would benefit me no matter what career I went into. And it had, now I do it for a living, you know, I, I basically do public speaking for a living, but, um, having, you know, acknowledging that you're afraid of something and then doing it anyway is one of the most powerful things you can do. So regret for the things that we've done can be tempered by time. Regret for the things we have not done is inconsolable. So you want to start that company? Do it now. Do it. You don't want to be 80 years old sitting on your rocking chair going, or or see somebody on Shark Tank pitch your idea. And you're like, I had that idea. You know? Yeah. Or QVC, you know, making millions of dollars. It's like, well, I had that idea five years ago. Well, what'd you do about it? Nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Those are two fantastic <laughs> quotes. Um, I might have to post those on a Motivation Monday if you don't mind. <laughs> Well, if you do, I'll have to give acknowledgement to who said the quotes because they're not okay. mine. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, so ton of great information today. Great stories. Is there anything that you'd like to share that like I didn't ask or just an important topic or, you know, anything that you want to close out on? Okay. What I want to close out on is I'm very proud of you. Um, you were one of my MBA students and I love it when my, you're a very good podcast host. Is that right? Podcast host? Yeah. Um, and I love seeing you do something you're passionate about and do something you're good at and do something that you're obviously enjoying. And so I always tell my MBA students and or my any of my students, I'll take full credit for all of your success. Now, of course, I'm kidding. I'm not going to take credit <laughs> for your success, but I will brag about you and I'll help you by sharing and posting and liking. And um, it just warms my heart to see you happy and doing something you're so good at and so obviously passionate about. So thank you so thank much. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yeah. No. Um, the, I mean, those words are just far too kind. Thank you. That means the world to me. Uh, thank you for taking the time for being so generous with your stories, your knowledge, your information. Um, thank you to everybody tuning in for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget, like, subscribe, share it with other people so that it can make an impact. Join the conversation by commenting with your thoughts and questions and let's grow together.